Good morning. We started a new series last week in the Gospel of Luke. And began by saying that uh, regardless of where you fall on the religious spectrum, maybe you're someone who's familiar with the story of Jesus. You've been in church, you might say, your whole life. And yet, uh, and doubt still plagues, questions still pop up. Um, Luke is for you. Uh, he writes his gospel uh, to his friend Theophilus, this, this account of Jesus' life. He writes it that Theophilus may know for certain. But maybe you're not religious at all. Maybe you're just beginning to investigate uh, the claims of Jesus. Who is this Jesus person? What exactly did he do? Luke is for you as well. Luke is for you as well. Now, uh, a little bit of uh, maybe what might be some some disappointing news. Uh, I realized last week, I think my sermon clocked in at like 20 minutes, 25, something like that. It's not going to go that short this week, okay? So just, just so you know, I just had four verses last week. I've got a few more this week. So, uh, and if you missed last week... Don't get, you're fine. Nothing's changed. So, all right. So today we are going to be in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to start reading in verse 5. If you're using the, uh, the, the Bible there uh, in the chair, it's page 855. Page 855. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. See, fellas, even in the Bible, it wasn't okay to call your wife old. He, he's old, she's advanced in years. Just so you notice what he did there. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. 
I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, news like Zechariah received would really be too good to be true. We understand his doubt. We understand his unbelief. It's our own. So, Lord, as we approach your word, we ask for, dare we say, a better faith than Zechariah's. God, that we would take you at your word, that you would work in our hearts, that you would help us to believe, that you would help our unbelief. Lord, as we look at this story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and your faithfulness to your people, would you help us to see our Savior? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever had a, a good friend move away? Uh, somebody that you, uh, you spoke with, hung out with all the time, you were, you were best buds, uh, and then, for whatever reason, uh, Job change. This happened to us uh, when we were in seminary. Uh, we we developed some really close friendships, but then we all graduated and moved to different parts of the country, uh, and those conversations become less frequent, don't they? Uh, you can't you can't see them, and talking on the phones not nearly the same. Uh, in life, you make new friendships in new places, and life just begins to gravitate in the other direction. And uh, where once there was regular conversation, now there's there's silence, and that can be difficult. Uh, we we regularly joke in my family at how uh, at how terrible sons are at actually calling home. Uh, maybe your sons don't do that. My mom's sons do. Uh, that that girls maybe call home once a week, uh, and boys, you actually have to call them. Uh, or if they call you, it usually means what? They need money, right? Yep, they want something. They need money. Um, so, uh, so yeah, uh, there's always there's always that joy when that person's number shows up on your phone again after a long silence, and that's kind of what's going on here. I don't think we realize this, but when the uh, when the angel shows up to talk to Zechariah. It has been 400 years since God had spoken to his people. 400 years. Uh, 400 years longer than our nation has been a nation. Uh, 400 years since a prophet brought God's message to God's people. That's a long silence. And you can imagine the amount of doubt uh, and fear uh, that would have crept in. 
during that time as the, as the course of history unfolds, the last time that there was a prophet, uh, speaking to God's people was a man named Malachi and the Persians were in control of, uh, of their world. Well, the Persians gave way to the Greeks and the Greeks had defiled the temple and yet still no word from God. And so the Jews rebelled uh, and they kind of controlled their own destiny for a little while and then the Romans took over. And during all of that time, during all of those massive upheavals of society, God is silent for 400 years. Malachi, the last, uh, the last book in our Old Testament, the last prophet to speak, whose name actually means my messenger, he says this in chapter 3, verse 1, or God rather says this through Malachi. He says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And then Malachi's last words, the very last thing, God's last words to his people. Chapter 4 of Malachi, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with judgment. Those were God's last words. The last words God spoke were, I'll send you a messenger to get you ready before I come. And then silence. Four centuries of silence. Until an angel shows up to a childless old priest who was, who was not expecting to see him. We're going to unfold this story. Uh, it unfolds really in about three episodes, shockingly. It's always three. Um, an impossible situation, a stunning promise, and a disgrace removed. An impossible situation. Uh, look again at verse 5 there. Like any good historian, Luke locates us where we are in history. This is the reign of Herod, uh, probably near the end of Herod's reign, somewhere around 4 BC. And we meet this great couple, Elizabeth and Zechariah. They come from the right family. Uh, they both come from priestly families. Zechariah himself is a priest and he's married uh, the wife of a priest. Uh, he's married the daughter of a priestly family. So they've got the right credentials. They're the right people. Uh, but more than that, uh, they're the right kind of people. They have godly character. They're described as righteous before God, walking blamelessly in his commandments. And that doesn't mean that they were sinless. But it does mean that they loved the Lord uh, and walked with Him. They had the right kind of character. They served Him faithfully. So they come from the right family, and they had the right character, which makes the next line something of a shock. They had no child. Now that would, as, as difficult as that would be in our day, and it is difficult, it would have been extremely difficult in Elizabeth's day. Because in Elizabeth's day, uh, that was where your identity was. It was in the having of children. And yet here we find that Elizabeth's womb is barren. 
and that they're both old. They're both advanced in years. Biologically speaking, they're not having any kids. And that would have been something of a, something of a black mark on their family. Um, if, and, and here's kind of the way the thinking went. Uh, God made people to bear fruit, uh, to be fruitful and multiply. That's what, that's how God designed Adam and Eve, to be fruitful and multiply. And he says in Psalm uh, 127 that uh, the family that has lots of children is a blessed family. And so then to not have them, to not be able to have children, must mean, in the thinking of many, was to be under God's curse. If you weren't enjoying God's blessing of children, then surely there's something that you've done wrong. There, there must be something, there must be some reason that God is withholding this blessing from you, Elizabeth, and you, Zechariah, even if, even if nobody would say it outright. You know that it was a topic of conversation. You know that there were whispers. You know that there was gossip. And maybe even well-meaning people. If anyone should have children, if anyone would make good parents, surely it would be Elizabeth and Zechariah. They're the right kind of people. And so we need to say this right at the bat, right off the bat. That God's favor is not tied to your circumstances. God's favor is not directly tied to your circumstances. That's the point that Luke is making. It's not the main point, but it is a point that he's making. That these are good people. That they love the Lord. That their walk according to their neighbors, according to their community would be blameless. And yet, and he's setting up that contrast very intentionally, and yet, they don't have any children. They've never had children and are not able now to have children. But that doesn't mean that they did anything wrong. And so our circumstances are not attached to God's favor. And I can even see, if we were to bring Elizabeth into modern day, I can almost see a well-meaning Christian walking up to them and saying, well, you know, God wants to give you children. You just got to claim that promise, sister. You just got to, you just got to believe, right? Something, it's, it's, it's your, it's your faith that's the problem. God wants to give it to you, but it's your faith that's the problem. And we need to categorically say no to that. That is not true. However well-meaning we may intend that, It is not the case. Elizabeth and Zechariah are proof positive that that kind of theology is not true. Sometimes God puts us in an impossible situation where our strength and resources fail so that He gets the glory. And that's exactly what happens here. There is nothing that Elizabeth and Zechariah can do to change their biology. Which means God is going to have to do something. And by the way, it wouldn't be the first time. They aren't the first old barren couple in the Bible. Okay? And so we want to say, right, right off the bat, 
that the, the reason for this impossible situation is not some sin that Elizabeth has yet to repent of. That's not what's going on here. There's not some hidden secret sin that Zechariah has done that has kept his family childless. That's not what's, that's not what's happening. It's not because they didn't believe God enough. Okay? There's something else going on. And that something else is that God is about to do something amazing that brings the spotlight directly to him. Right? It, there, there will be no mistaking who the hero of the story is. I love what uh, what William Cooper says. He was a, a hymn writer uh, who struggled mightily with depression, uh, never saw it end in his lifetime. And he says this, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. God is about to use the frowning providence of barrenness in Elizabeth and Zechariah's life to reveal His smiling face, not just to them, but to the world. Let's look at the promise uh, that Zechariah receives here in verse 8, we see uh, that Zechariah gets a, a once-in-a-lifetime shot. A priest, uh, by this point in history, there are so many priests, there's not enough work. Uh, there, so uh, what priests would do is they would serve by division. And your division would come up about two weeks a year. So it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like the National Guard, except with the whole one week in a month, you didn't do that. But you did two weeks a year, Right. So two weeks a year, your division got called up and you would go and you would live in Jerusalem for two weeks uh, and you would work the temple, uh, handling all the sacrifices, all of those things, the, the, the different offerings. And still, uh, not everybody got to actually go into the temple. That For that, they cast lots. What we might say is they would draw straws. Uh, and uh, Zechariah's straw comes up. And so Zechariah gets the honor of going into the temple uh, to offer uh, to offer the incense, uh, and so this was a time when he would have he would have walked in. The people are outside praying, uh, and he is basically as he carries the incense inside, he is offering prayers on behalf of the people. So he would have had to go through a whole purification ritual. He's wearing the priestly garments. Uh, he's walking in. He's by himself. Uh, he's standing between the, the candle and the table right in front of the altar. Just on the other side of this would be the, the curtain that separated the most holy place uh, where way back in history, the Ark of the Covenant and God's presence dwelt. Okay, so this is, this is a once-in-a-lifetime chance for a priest like Zechariah. Uh, so there he is uh, offering uh, the incense, praying for the people when... Uh, probably didn't pop like that. Uh, there was an angel to the right of the altar. Uh, and of course, like any reasonable person, uh, Zechariah is gripped by fear. Right? It says, it says fear fell upon him. Uh, that same word is used of a, of a robber attacking an unsuspecting victim. Uh, you've probably been there, right? When you've been gripped by fear, that's, that's what happens to Zechariah as he stands there, uh, and the angel begins speaking. Look at verse 13. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now, 
uh, on first reading, we typically think, right, that, oh, Zechariah was in there praying for a son. And that wouldn't be altogether unreasonable. Uh, surely, Zechariah and, El- and Elizabeth had prayed for children for a very, very long time. Uh, and so it's possible that he was praying that. But it's more likely, since he is in there in his role as a priest, it is more likely that he is praying on behalf of the people for God's redemption to come. That God would keep this long ago promise of a Messiah who would come and rescue his people from their enemies. That's probably how Zechariah is praying when this angel appears and says, your prayer has been heard. Now, here's the really cool thing. When he says your prayer has been heard, he is he is answering both the people's prayer that God would bring a redeemer and Zechariah's prayer that he would have children. He's answering both. And he's going to do this one by doing this one. How cool is that? All right. So he says, uh, Elizabeth will bear you a son. You shall call his name John, uh, which means God is gracious. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. So not only will uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth have the joy that they've wanted for so long, but God's people will have the joy that they have hungered for for so long. He will be great before the Lord. Jesus will say later that none is greater among men than John. He will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And so what these verses tell us is that John will be set apart. uh, That he will be, he will have a very special role. Uh, and this whole bit about wine and strong drink, that's, uh, it's possible that John was what we call a Nazarite. Uh, but more likely, it just simply means that there will be no doubt that when John begins his ministry, and we're going to see that in, a, in another uh, couple Sundays, when John begins his ministry, there will be no doubt that he is filled with the Holy Spirit and not some other intoxicating spirit. Okay, that that when John begins to say the things John is going to say and they're going to sound crazy, uh, there will be no confusion. Like John is not drunk. He is he is full of the Holy Spirit Uh, and he is the only person uh, in the Bible described as being full of the spirit from his mother's womb. Uh, So full of the Holy Spirit that even at conception, he has the Holy Spirit. He indeed will be a special Special son. Verse 15, excuse me, verse uh, 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. John is the answer to Malachi's promise. John is the John is the fulfillment of what Malachi said in chapter chapter 4 verses 5 and 6 which I read earlier. God is keeping his word to Malachi in the person of John. And his role is to get people ready. His role is to turn people back, which implies what? They've turned away. 
that God's people are going the opposite direction. And John's role will be to call them back, to say, come back this way. Come to the Lord. Come to your God. That will be what John is coming to do. So let's just, let's just put everything in perspective. God's people are outside of the temple praying for God to fix their impossible situation. Zechariah, a man in an impossible situation, is in the temple praying the same thing. And God answers both prayers with a stunning promise of a miracle baby who would prepare God's people for his arrival. Okay? How would you respond to that? You're in your 80s? Uh, biologically speaking, it ain't happening, right? Now, maybe, just maybe, you would be better than John, better than Zechariah. Maybe you would respond in absolute faith and say, "Sounds good. Tell me what I got to do." That's not what Zechariah does, and and I don't know that I blame him. Um. But sometimes there are things that sound really too good to be true, even when there's an angel in front of you telling you. Uh, but Zechariah says in verse 18, he asks, how shall I know this? Uh, we might translate it, how can I be sure? Zechariah's question is one of unbelief. Basically, he's asking for a sign. He's asking for more. How can I be sure? I mean, I'm, I'm too old. My wife is advanced in years. Even with an angel standing right in front of him, Zechariah's biology overwhelms his theology. He would have known. He would remember the stories of Abraham and Sarah, Samson's parents, Hannah in 1 Samuel. But he doesn't believe it. It's too good to be true. And so he asks for a sign. Can this angel really be trusted? And so the angel does give him a sign. He first gives him his name. Verse 19, I am Gabriel. And I stand in the presence of God. That's kind of a big deal. And I was sent to speak to you... And to bring you this good news. That, uh, that phrase there, good news, that's our word for gospel. Gabriel's come to evangelize Zechariah. And Zechariah doesn't believe it. And so, Gabriel says, verse 20, You will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Because Zechariah doesn't believe what Gabriel spoke, he, therefore, will be unable to speak. The sign for Zechariah that he is, the sign of his, that he's looking for is the sign of his own lack of speech. His unbelief, his lack of belief uh, equals a lack of speech. He will not be able to speak what he has seen until it is fulfilled. And isn't it interesting, in verse 20, Gabriel doesn't give any hint that this will not happen, right? He says, you will be silent until these things come to pass, 
until my words are fulfilled. There's no doubt that God is going to do this. So even though Zechariah doubts, God does not say, oh, well, can't use this one. Bring in another priest. We'll look for another barren old priest that we can do this thing through. No. He's still content to use Zechariah and Elizabeth. But Zechariah's unbelief means that he will be unable to speak. Because he won't be able to use words because he didn't trust the words of God. And so Zechariah finishes his deployment and heads home. And that's where we greet the next episode, verse 24, a disgrace removed. After these days, these days when, meaning when Zechariah had finished up at the temple and had come home, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden. Now, we don't know why Elizabeth secludes herself. Maybe it's to worship. God, to rejoice at what God has done after all these long years. But she doesn't go public with it right away, right? She doesn't run to the neighbors. She doesn't run to the people who had bad-mouthed her if they had and, and say, Ha-ha, looky here. She doesn't do that. Uh, she secludes herself. And she ponders the mercy and grace of God and how, how different her response is than her husband's. Which is so not what we would expect. And we're going to see this again and again in Luke. That the people we think, the people we expect to have the right response to God and His Word, are often not the people we expect. Nobody would have expected the barren woman, right? They would have expected the priest. I mean, he's a priest, right? He handles the holy things of God. He pronounces blessings on the people. But he didn't believe the good news, and so he is the one who is silent, while his wife, she believes, she trusts. She is our model for faith. This is really what you have here is a good news and then two examples of how to respond to it. You can respond to it the way Zechariah does in unbelief, or can you can respond to it the way that Elizabeth does in belief, in faith. Look what she says in verse 25. Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me. To look on one, to look on me means to show me favor. That God has smiled on me. His smile becomes evident to Elizabeth. And how? To take away, because he has taken away my reproach among people. Reproach, disgrace. Even though it wasn't her fault, Elizabeth would have felt very disgraced, ashamed uh, of her barrenness. But now as God's favor smiles upon her, her disgrace, her shame is removed. God has taken Elizabeth's suffering and used it for His glory and her good. But I want to point out that in this, in announce, this announcement about John, Elizabeth's shame, Elizabeth's disgrace is not the only one that's removed. Because what this means in Elizabeth's disgrace being removed, in the coming of the messenger who will prepare the way for the Lord, it means that God is getting ready to remove the reproach of His people. 
God is getting ready to remove the disgrace of those who will trust in His Son. Elizabeth is just the first of many who will sing this song. Because of her son, John, uh, will pave the way for the Son, Jesus. And Jesus comes to take away the disgrace of all His people. That's the real good news. The question is, do you believe it? Let's pray. Father, sometimes things are too good to be true. Or at least we think they are. Surely there's no way an old couple can have a baby. Surely there's no way a virgin can give birth. Surely there's no way that God will take on the flesh of a man and bear the curse and shame for sinful humanity. But you do. Merciful Savior, would you give us hearts like Elizabeth's to trust in what you are doing? May we not may we not falter and believe that simply because our circumstances look one way that you are not blessing us. That your smile does not rest upon us. Whatever our circumstances may be, cancer, barrenness, poverty, whatever, whatever difficulty and trial we are currently going through, help us to be aware of the truth. It's not, it's not because you're holding out on us. Don't let us believe the lie that you have this treasure trove of blessings you're withholding simply waiting on us to exercise enough faith or just to be a little bit better. As William Cooper says, may we not trust you with feeble sense, but trust you for your grace. May in our, I pray that in our own lives we would, we would understand that even if providence is frowning right now, behind that there is a smiling face. And Lord, for those of us who are just beginning to grasp the good news that You have come to save sinners, You, as You say, Lord Jesus, have come to seek and to save the lost pray that we would we would understand just how lost we are without you and that we would run to you and believe in you trust in you that we may have life we ask it in Jesus name amen